Now, in our series through Mark, we find ourselves in chapter 4, and chapter 4 consists of four parables and a dramatic miracle. And last week, we looked at the first parable in detail, and today we're going to consider all four together and what they tell us about the kingdom of God. And as we do, we'll see Jesus turning right way up the listeners' topsy-turvy ideas of what the kingdom was like. They just had everything muddled, and chapter 4 is, is Jesus trying to straighten them out. And as we do, we'll come across some significant implications for us. Now, it's been uh, since last year we've been in Mark, and so not to lose our way, let's go back to the very first words that Jesus says in this gospel. His very first words in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. And that's the core of Jesus' message. However, in the first chapter of Mark, we see Jesus establishing his ministry. And in the second two chapters, uh, chapter 2 and 3, we see really confrontation and attacks by the religious leaders. It's not until chapter 4 that we actually come to the detail of what the kingdom of God is like. What was Jesus teaching about the kingdom that so astounded the listeners? And this is a good news and a bad news sort of story for Jesus when he starts teaching on the kingdom of God. The good news is that all his listeners, all the Jewish folk, were keenly awaiting the coming of the kingdom. He didn't have to convince them that the kingdom would come. They were intensely expecting and looking for the kingdom. However, the bad news, the flip side of this, was that practically everyone had the wrong idea of what the kingdom was. In fact, they had such a wrong idea, they were in danger of missing the kingdom or even opposing the kingdom of God. And so what was this great misunderstanding that Jesus corrects here in chapter 4? Well, most of the Old Testament prophecies talk about the conquering Messiah who will come and set up a kingdom that will throw out all the oppressors that are there. It will be centred in Jerusalem. All the nations will come and worship the Messiah and the Messiah will set up a wonderful, glorious kingdom similar to the days of King Solomon, except a hundred, a thousand times better. And in this kingdom, they, the Jewish folk, expected that they would have an automatic right to belong. Why? They were born Jewish. And they expected all of the Gentile, the non-Jewish people, to be excluded from the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus was encountering every time he used the word kingdom of God. The problem with this world view is it doesn't take into account the other prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of a suffering Messiah, one who would enter Jerusalem humbly riding a donkey, of the Messiah who was pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities, a Messiah whose punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him, a Messiah by whose wounds we are healed, Isaiah 53.5. So these prophecies of a humble, suffering servant were ignored in favour of the more spectacular, superhero, conquering type prophecies. Now, of course, on this side of the resurrection and with the New Testament as well as the Old Testament as our guide, we see that the kingdom of God is to be established in two phases. 
two coming of the same Messiah. Jesus would come first as a humble servant who, in his own words in Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This was the first coming of the Messiah, the first kingdom of God. The second time that Jesus returns, he will come as a conquering king and will vanquish Satan and his hordes and establish an eternal, everlasting kingdom. Two comings, one is unexpected and unlooked for, the other is mighty and powerful of an all-conquering Messiah. So can you see the dilemma that Jesus finds himself in whenever he mentions the word kingdom of God and that it is near? His listeners are thinking, great, Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans and set up this wonderful kingdom here based in Jerusalem. But every time he mentions the kingdom of God and says that it's near, Jesus is thinking, I have come not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So chapter 4 is all about correcting this great misunderstanding. It's all about teaching about the kingdom of God in the form of parables, but preparing them for a humble Messiah, not an all-conquering Messiah, preparing them for a servant and not a military victory. And so you'll notice that Jesus purposely uses humble, everyday images of seeds and lamps. He doesn't use the language of military victories. He uses languages of planting and reaping not images of miracles and signs in the sky and earthquakes and all that sort of stuff. You notice how his language is very quiet, very very humble. Now, as an aside, Mark 13 is all about Jesus' second coming, and that's where Jesus teaches about that. And he uses all that powerful language of conquering kings and earthquakes. And so it's actually quite interesting to lay chapter 4, which is all about his first coming, and chapter 13, which is all about his second coming. And just notice the difference. We live in the in-between, don't we? In between his first and second coming, where these parables of the kingdom are very, very important for us on a practical, daily basis. So that's all way of a background to help us frame our understanding of these four parables. So we come to the first parable, the parable of the sower. Now, I covered this in detail last week, and as I explained then, this parable is pivotal to all of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. If you want to understand the kingdom, you need to understand this parable first. In summary, a farmer sows seed that lands on four soils, but only the fourth and last soil produce good fruit. Now, what does this parable say about the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus helpfully explains in verses 14 to 20 that the seed is the word of God and the soils are our responses. And in particular, the good soil describes what the kingdom of God looks like. So what does the kingdom of God look like? It is wherever God's word is heard, accepted and bears fruit. Listen to this in Mark chapter 4 verse 20. Others like the seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times sown. Did you hear that? Hear the word, accept it, produce a crop, bear fruit. 
This is a simple working definition of the kingdom of God. Now let's apply it to our church. Is the kingdom of God being established here in Cromwell amongst us? Well, let's apply. Is God's word heard in this place? Is it accepted in this place? Is it bearing fruit? Well, yes, it is. (laughs) I was very encouraged as I went through this sermon. We are bearing fruit. To the extent that this church hears, accepts and bears fruit is to the extent that God will establish his kingdom in this place. Can we do better? Of course we can. Are we a perfect example of the kingdom of God? Of course we're not. (laughs) But as we hear, accept and bear fruit, God's kingdom will be established amongst us. Let's apply this to our personal life. Personally, are you hearing God's word? Are you picking up the Bible during the week? Are you listening to some really good sermons online or Sunday mornings? Are you engaging with God's word? Are you accepting it? Are there parts of the Bible that you avoid? <laughs> because they kind of put their finger on your life and then you're not too happy with. So just, I'll just avoid the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. I'll just skip that bit, bit, Lord. We all do it from time to time, don't we? Are we accepting God's word? And is, are by, is by the Holy Spirit, are our lives bearing fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now if you can say that, yes, then the kingdom of God has been established in your life. And it's exciting. And it's wonderful to see how the Holy Spirit moves in your life as the kingdom of God has been established. Are you perfect? Far from it. Can you do better? Of course you can. But it's all about leaning into Jesus, isn't it? Accepting his word, bearing fruit, one step at a time. So you can see how this this parable is very important. It's key to understanding all Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. So this is the first lesson from the parable of the sower. The next parable is a lamp on a stand, and you'll see the metaphor moves away from the seed to a lamp. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, in the last parable, if the seed is the word of God, what does the lamp represent? Well, the lamp represents Christ. While Jesus was on the earth, he didn't hide himself, nor was he concealed. He freely proclaimed the good news in word and in deed. But many had ears that could not hear and eyes that could not see. In the Gospel of John, he puts it really well in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And in some respects, this is a summary of the same parable. This is John 1, 4 to 5. And Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And that's what this parable is saying. As we lift Jesus up as a church and as individual, his light shines out and it is the light of men. But some men and women's hearts are dark and their thinking is clouded. And not everyone understands when Jesus is proclaimed. The darkness has not understood it. Not everyone has eyes to see and ears to hear. 
So in many respects, this parable builds on the first parable. The seed, the word of God is sown. And not everyone is the good soil. And now as we lift Christ and he shines in the darkness, not everyone has eyes to see. Our responsibility is to be faithful, to lift up Christ in word and to deed, and to live out our lives that honour him. And as we do, the light of Christ is not hidden. It is not concealed. It is put on a stand for all to see. And some will respond, and it's wonderful, but not all. Our responsibility is to lift Christ up, and it's Christ's responsibility to draw people to him. That's the second parable, a lamp on a stand. Now we come to the third parable, and we're back with seeds, the parable of the growing seed. Jesus also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn, first the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. And this parable speaks to us about how slowly the kingdom grows. Remembering all his listeners were expecting the Messiah to come and it was to be dramatic and immediate and there'd be this cosmic battle and it would be all sorted really quickly and the kingdom of God would be established. But Jesus is saying, well, actually, no. It's slowly, slowly, softly, softly is the kingdom of God. And so a seed is thrown into the soil and it dies. It's buried. And eventually, a few days, weeks later, we see a sprout. Then a few months later, the harvest. And so Jesus was laid in the ground and died and was buried. And from everyone in the outside world, it looked like he was dead and buried and gone. But slowly, slowly, the kingdom of God is established and grows strong. And this parable talks about patience and enduring and it talks about trusting in the transforming power of God's word. And so many of us, especially ministers, we have great plans for the church and the kingdom of God. And we, we just know where it's got to go. And we get very frustrated when God doesn't stick to our timetable. Don't we? <laughs> and it's the same in our lives. You know, we've got plans and we know we're going to honour God, but often our plans are, well, I want to do this, God, can you please bless it? <laughs> you know, you're going to bring God in as to, to support. But this is just reminding us that like a farmer biding his time, we plant the seed. And then we can't make the seed grow. Yes, it's important that a farmer weeds and fertilises, does a bit of pest control. Those are important. The farmer's not putting his feet up, uh, you know, on the lazy boy, just uh, watching everything through the window. But at the end of the day, the farmer doesn't make the seed grow. They provide conditions in which that can happen the best way possible. So the parable of the growing seed is about God's kingdom and his time. We play a role, but we can't force it. It's about patience and endurance. And remembering that the listeners were expecting the Messiah to come any moment in a dramatic way, Jesus is saying, slowly, slowly do I build my kingdom. And finally we come to the parable of the mustard seed from verse 30. Again Jesus said, 
What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds in the air can perch in its shade. The smallness of a mustard seed was proverbial in Jesus' day. People talked about the smallest mustard seed and how big it would grow. So Jesus is quoting a proverb that they're all familiar with. And it's not the smallest seed that was known, but it was the smallest seed that they would intentionally plant in the garden. And here we see not only does the seed grow and multiply, but what's new is it becomes a blessing for others. The birds can now perch in its branches and get shade and rest from the scorching sun. Now in the first parable, the birds are the villains. Remember? Seed fell on the hard soil. Satan stole the seed away. In this parable, the birds are those that are hurting and broken. Those that need to find rest and healing from the scorching sun. And so this parable tells us that even though the kingdom of God goes slowly, it grows strong and blessings abound. But these blessings are for others as well as ourselves. So when the kingdom of God is established in this place, when God's word is heard, accepted and bears fruit and we lift Jesus up, he will attract those hurting people those carrying burdens, those people that need healing to this place and they will receive the blessings, the comfort, the knowledge of God, the healing. And in your own life, as the kingdom of God has been established and as you lift Jesus up, you will attract people and be a significant blessing and encouragement to them. As Just like these birds in the heat of the day can find rest in that mustard plant. So the kingdom of God is a blessing to us, but a significant blessing to us. Jesus said to us and to those, all those hurting, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight. So let's pull all this together. Four parables. The first parable, when we hear, accept, and bear fruit, when we hear and accept God's word and bear fruit, then the kingdom of God is established within us, amongst us. When we lift Jesus up so that his light shines into a dark world, the kingdom of God is advanced and attracts others. And though we can be frustrated at times, the kingdom of God grows slowly, slowly, surely, surely, and can be established as a great and strong plant. A blessing not only to ourselves, but to all who are weary and burdened, hurting and vulnerable. And so we're encouraged today to scatter the seed, God's word, to shine the light, which is to lift Jesus up, and as we do, the kingdom of God will be established. And now we come to the communion table. And the communion table is another parable of the kingdom of God where Jesus invites those who have a heart for him to come to the table and to taste, to eat his body, to drink his blood. Around the communion table, the kingdom of God is also established. Let's pray.